Good evening. This is the Tomorrow Christian Today, reading Deuteronomy 13 in the NLT. But first and always we pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to read your word. Your word cleanses, purifies, sanctifies um, us. It ennobles us and illuminates us and guides us on the way and shows us right from wrong and empowers us to do what is right and to mortify the deeds of the flesh, which is wrong. This is a world that has gone very wrong and rapidly fading. It's passing away. Please help us not to pass away with it, but to trend, Lord, towards you and to plant our tent in Bethel, Lord, where the place is of communion. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to read your word. May the words I say, my opinions, still glorify you. And I ask for the Holy Spirit to impress upon whoever wishes to listen the power and the sanctity and the truth of your word through Jesus Christ, your righteous son. I pray in the name of Christ. Amen. You know, before I read this, um, I'm just going to read something that I saw. So I have to go on the go train on Tuesdays to my place of work. And that's where it takes us downtown. My place of work is right there. So I'm just going to read this. It says here, this is from January 6th. This is the utmost for his highest by Oswald Chambers. And it says here, worship is giving God the best that he has given you. And then it drops down and says, Bethel is the symbol of communion with God. AI, so the word is AI, is the symbol of the world. So I looked at this and I went, AI? What would Oswald Chambers know about um, artificial intelligence? And then I happened to look at the verse at the top, which says the following, And he, which is Abraham, pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west, and high, H-A-I, on the east, and there he builded an altar. Genesis 12, verses 8. So Oswald Chambers is writing about this specific verse, and he's saying that Abraham pitched his tent between Bethel, which is communion with God, and Ai, and Hay, H-A-I, which is the world. Isn't that something that the people, that when this is written, I don't know if Oswald Chambers wrote this part, or spelled it this way, but it says, Bethel is the symbol of communion with God. Ai is the symbol of the world. And when I came back home, what are they talking about on YouTube? They're talking about uh, chatbots and robot women and robot wives and guys who are alone and an epidemic of male loneliness. And uh, Joe Rogan is talking about how men are kind of disconnecting and playing video games. And, you know, there are guys who are just who will never have like a real kind of relationship uh, there was another guy commenting on Joe Rogan's video. So it's just amazing you're talking about AI. And then one of my coworkers was telling me about some something in the Antichrist where he'd be born on February 4, 1962, which is kind of nonsense. But that's, the, that's a, like a date for the age of Aquarius. And she's talking about the Antichrist. And I'm going, wow, this is weird. What if the Antichrist was like AI? What if the Antichrist is like anti-life? Because it's someone who says they're a messiah and and they're going to bring peace to the world, but they're actually, they can't bring peace to the world. And so that person is not really a real, it's not really a savior. It's not a real messiah. It's not really Jesus. And isn't that just weird how all these things co combine together about AI? Like AI is not alive. You know, it's, it's to me, it's a simulation. You can have a, a robot and it can have a, a woman's voice. It can be speaking, but it's not really alive. It doesn't have a soul. And it's like the world is just connecting or disconnecting from life and trying to connect to so many things. 
And so many people are really scared. It really reminds me of Matthew 24, which says men's hearts failing them for fear for the things that are coming on the earth. Like the whole thing about relationships and society and, you know, I don't know, long-term relationships that are the real thing. Um, it's really hard to come by these days. And uh, I just found that really, really ironic that this all happened. So that's a whole conundrum of puzzle pieces for you. Just to throw at you before I read Deuteronomy 13. And isn't it interesting that Deuteronomy 13 is a warning against idolatry? And I was reading William Barclay today also. So I was reading a whole lot of stuff going down on the, um, on the GO train and uh, talking about idolatries where you take something that's not alive and you worship it almost as if a man is worshiping himself. And all of these themes just sort of got thrown at me by, quote, life, unquote, today. And Deuteronomy 13 is about idolatry, which is worshiping something else other than the true living God, worshiping something that can't give back to you, right? Trying to connect with something because only God can give back to you. Only God can give you the peace that passes understanding because you can only connect to a living God who is true and right. Everything else is very threadbare. Let me read. A warning against idolatry. Suppose there are prophets among you or those who dream dreams about the future and they promise you signs or miracles and the predicted signs or miracles occur. So right off the bat, I just think of where I came from about someone saying they were having dreams sent by angel messengers and this person is not in the Bible and she had opinions, but she's saying that she's having angel messengers telling her these doctrines that were incorporated into the church that she built, which I was born into. And I'm thinking, is this, are you kidding me, Lord? Like, how does this all work together on a Tuesday? Wow, this is just really weird. So obviously we're talking about people who are false people with a misleading spirit, a false spirit, a lying spirit, a demonic spirit, as they say in 1 Timothy 4, 1 to 4. If then they say, come, let us worship other gods, gods you have not known before, do not listen to them. The Lord your God is testing you to see if you truly love him with all your heart and soul. This world is trying to disconnect you from Jesus and reconnect you to something else. Some other Messiah, some other Savior, some other idol, some other pastime that you put in front of God. It's just that simple. That's idolatry. Money is, is not idolatry if you know how to use it, but when you worship it and all you want it for more is to make more and more and more, that's idolatry, the love of money. It says, do not listen to them. The Lord your God is testing you to see if you truly love him with all your heart and soul. Serve only the Lord your God and fear him alone. Obey his commands, listen to his voice, and cling to him. I, I guess I guess it says cling because the devil's trying to pry, you know, pry us off God. He's trying to distract us. He's trying to speak negative words into your head. That's why I was also reading a passage that said, when you pray to God, you're safe from the enemy because you're not you're not going to be open to listening to these negative talk, all this negative chatter that the devil's just putting into your head, whether it's you talking to you or the devil's talking to your head and trying to say you're not good enough and you came from a bad start and you've got some issues and you've got a sin and God doesn't really want you and you're a hypocrite and see what you've done and you call yourself a Christian, that's all the devil talking. That's all the devil talking smack talk to you. And I guess that's why we need to cling to the righteous God and his righteous Messiah, King Jesus. 
Verse 5, the false prophets or visionaries who try to lead you astray must be put to death, for they encourage rebellion against the Lord your God, who redeemed you from slavery and brought you out of the land of Egypt. Well, we don't do that in North America. So you, you are part of a church that has a false prophet, just leave. I did. If you're listening to a guy and all he's doing is asking you for money and he's going to send you all these weird prayer things that are going to heal you and all this weird prayer water and snake oil water in the name of Jesus, you know what you do? Reach over um, to your television or use your remote control, turn them off. Turn them off. Just pick up the Bible and just read. Don't listen to some guy who's going to try to use you for merchandise. That's what it says in Second Peter. Don't use people who are using you for... Mer Don't allow people to come into your head or your life who are using you as merchandise. Since they try to lead you astray from the way the Lord your God commanded you to live, you must put them to death. Well, again, we don't do that. But you can sort of put them to... Um, you can sort of get them out of your life. Get them out of your head. Don't listen to them anymore and throw away their stuff. Just read the Bible. Just go on YouTube. Look at some... Great pastors on YouTube, uh, Mark Driscoll I've listened to, I've listened to Stephen Furtick. Listen to different people. Don't just listen to one person. Listen to many different people and sort of take your ideas from there. But of course, we always uh, pray, asking God to send his Holy Spirit to give us guidance. I don't tell you what to think. I ask you to think about what I tell you. I just listen to a whole bunch of different videos from different Christian people and I kind of decide, okay, I think that's good. I think that's not good. I'm not really sure. Maybe I can listen to somebody else. I'm not trying to be a cafeteria Christian. I'm trying to be a well-rounded Christian, reading the Bible, praying, thinking about it, hearing another point of view. I would never tell you not to listen to somebody, but you know, where I came from, they only listened to this one lady. And they went to say that she's a prophet. What about all the people on BibleHub.com? What about guys like Matthew Henry? What about all those guys who are so smart? You know, so many guys, like there are so many commentaries um, on, on, on BibleHub.com. So many different people could write. So I was trying to find on here how I would be able to find different commentaries. There are so many of them. There are so many different people who have written commentaries. You know, I just think of Matthew Henry off the top of my head. I can't really find that, that um, you know, that webpage with the different commentaries. But so many different guys, commentaries. Let me see if I can find. Oh, yeah, there's so many guys on here. There's people named Clark, Darby, Ellicott, uh, Matthew Henry. Um, I'm just looking at all these different names, all these different people. You know, Gil, Gray, Guzik, David Guzik. I was listening to him as well. So there's so many different people that you can listen to. You don't just have to listen to one person. Read different things or, or um, you know, look at different sermons from different people on YouTube. Get a well-rounded perspective. Everybody has things that they do well and everybody has weaknesses. Everybody sees it from a certain point of view. So... Listen to people and pray about it. Commit that to the Holy Spirit. Should I be listening to this person, Lord? What do you think about this person? Is this person way off base? I'm sure if, if you pray your prayer, I mean, I try to listen to different people and get different perspectives. I don't think I really have an opinion. Like, I'm not really a creative thinker. I just, 
I really, my opinions are really mosaics of what I've heard from other people who I think are much smarter and much keener and have better insights than I do. You know, I'm not saying to, I'm not saying that I'm meek just to say that I'm all meek and humble. But honestly, I, I am not a creative person. But I do like to listen to different things and try to assemble my ideas from other people, what other people have said, what I think is reasonable. And of course, asking God, I'm not really sure, Lord, this is good. This sounds good. Maybe I need to just listen. You know, I want to hear different. I want to hear something that I've never heard before and say, is this reasonable? Is this new? Is this good? Are we going, you know, off the rails with this? That sort of thing. Anyways. In this way, it says you will purge the evil from among you if you don't listen to different people. Well, it says in verse five, verse six, suppose someone secretly entices you, even your brother, your son or daughter, your beloved wife or your closest friend says, let us go worship other gods, gods that neither you nor your ancestors have known. They might suggest that you worship the gods of peoples who live nearby or who come from the ends of the earth. But do not give in or listen. Have no pity and do not spare or protect them. You must put them to death. That's what it says in Deuteronomy, right? So Moses is telling them to be very careful about who they're listening to. And obviously it's very, I mean, it's, it's very, very militant because these people have already been inside paganism for quite a long time. And now um, God is trying to use um, Moses to give them laws and civil laws that they can live by and where they can go in the right path. Strike the first blow yourself and then let all the people join in. And then, and then it says here, stone the guilty one. So, you know, when those guys went to stone the woman uh, of adul uh, adultery, Jesus said, okay, him who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. So the thing is, Jesus is bringing a new covenant, new perspective. And obviously, he, he sensed that it was a setup. Whether she was uh, adulterous or not, the fact is that they sort of grabbed her just at that time. Maybe, maybe she was set up. Maybe they used her to try to set up a guy so then they could grab her and try to tempt Jesus and see what he was going to say. Just the same way those guys set up Delilah to tempt Samson. Same type of thing. Stone the guilty ones, okay, because they have tried to draw you away from the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of slavery. Then all Israel will hear about it and be afraid and no one will act so wickedly again. You know, we're New Covenant Christians. We're not Old Covenant. But as New Covenant Christians, we still have to have discipline. I don't tell you what to think. I ask you to think about what I tell you. You know, this is not me telling you how to think. This is you going to God and saying, Lord, you know what? I've been presented with this truth. This is what you have said in the Bible, in the Old Covenant. How does it apply to me today in 2024? How does this, how does your word, which is a perspective of history, but it's also from you, how does it apply to me? Take the salient things, Lord, help me to get the salient ideas and points and concepts so that I can be transformed into a better loving Christian. When you begin living in the towns the Lord your God is giving you, you may hear that scoundrels among you are leading your fellow citizens astray by saying, let us go worship other gods, gods you have not known before. In such cases, you must examine the facts carefully. So even Moses is saying that. He's saying it to them. You must think about it. Don't just be sheeple. Don't just accept what you're told. I mean, even when the woman was uh, examining my choices for high school, she said, um, 
you know, she, she'd asked me why I made these choices. I told her why. There were some preconceived ideas. And she said, do you just do what people tell you to do? Think for yourself. Read the Bible. I, to me, that's, that's read the whole thing. That's just the best thing you can do to protect yourself. It says here, um, you examine the facts carefully. If you find the report is true and a detestable act has been committed among you, it says you must attack that town and completely destroy all its inhabitants as well as the livestock. You must pile all the plunder in the middle of the open square and burn it, burn the entire town as a burnt offering to the Lord your God. Well, you know, I read this and I go, wow, Lord, like, really? Like, is that is that really God talking? Well, it's, uh, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Is that Moses talking? You know, is that God talking? Is Moses talking? Why, 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 why do it? Why like this? Why do you have to burn it? Okay, I don't want to question God. I'm not saying that. But I know when I read something like that, I know people who are not believers would say, ah, see, see, religion is bad. See, it breeds fanaticism. I, I never wanted to be a fanatic. I wanted to know the truth. I wanted to know what Jesus Christ was all about. And I just got the feeling based on what I saw in my life and also listening to different people, that I was in something that was truly religious. Because something that is religious has doctrines and concepts and ideas, and they have to, have, they have to defend those things. And some people go all the way and defend it really in a nasty way, right? I am right, you are wrong. If you don't agree with me, then you are not, uh, you are a heretic, and I want nothing to do with you. And I'm going to try to make, you know, might makes right. I'm going to force you to believe in, or I'm going to totally dismiss you. Well, sometimes you have to just let some, you know, some things go. Some people you just can't talk to and you can't reconcile with. But I guess if we say we're Christians and we have an open disagreement with members of our family or extended family, and being with them is just, a, you know, you're the black sheep of the family kind of thing, or even in the case of my own marriage, you know, you have to let somebody go. You can't keep trying to influence them for Jesus. You have to let them go. And God says, bless, bless those who curse you. Bless those who um, pray for them that, that use you, despitefully use you. Forgive them. Bless them and not curse them. It's like, Lord, really? Are you asking me to do that for somebody who's like hurt me and betrayed me? And I think the answer is yes. You don't, you don't have to hang out. I don't, I don't see in the Bible you have to hang out with them. Because if you hang out with them, they'll just take more chunks out of you, right? They'll just keep hurting you and keep slamming you. You know, in my case, it was like, oh, the Sabbath day, you don't keep the Sabbath, you're lawless, you know? What's that all about? It's kind of like when those guys were slandering Paul as we were reading in Acts because they was like, you don't keep the law of Moses because you don't care about circumcision. Paul was saying, that's not true. That's not true. So the thing is that there's some, just some people you just can't, the best, the best thing that you have to do is preserve your own um, mental and emotional health, your own mental happiness. And you can pray for people that have hurt you and people that will never see your point of view, but you don't have to hang out with them. And I think that's why God was kind of blocking them and sort of allowing, you know, me and my uh, ex-wife. And, you know, she's the one that divorced me, right? And that's what it says in Matthew 10, you know, those in your own... Uh, family will become your enemies and I used to read that now I now I have experienced it and I'm like saddened by this like Lord really I mean does it have to be this bad but you know Jesus was telling people who he was 
they weren't buying it. He said, a prophet is never accepted in his own town and by his own family. I don't think that his own family was really too keen about him. His brothers really, his half-brothers really didn't like Jesus. They must have thought he was crazy. Only when he died and was crucified, and obviously they must have seen the risen Christ, because all of a sudden James, the half-brother of Jesus, becomes the president of the Jerusalem church. Like, why would a Jewish guy who didn't believe in Jesus when Jesus is walking around, supposedly all of a sudden want to be part of a, a Christian church right in the embryo of Jerusalem where, every, where the whole culture is against Jesus as the Messiah? It doesn't make any sense other than he saw that Jesus was resurrected and he believed that his half-brother was the Messiah that Jesus had claimed to be before he was executed and uh, crucified and put in a tomb. He must have seen something afterwards that convinced him that Jesus Christ was real, and I believe that he saw his brother. It says that he was, so, he was witnessed by James. So I think all the apostles saw Jesus, right, except for Judas, and his mother must have seen him, and he must have realized he was telling the truth all the time. He was 100% accurate in what he said. How did I get here? It says, burn the entire town as a burnt offering to the Lord your God. The town must remain a ruin forever. It may never be rebuilt. Sodom and Gomorrah was never rebuilt. Keep none of the plunder that has been set apart for destruction. Then the Lord will turn from his fierce anger and be merciful to you. He will have compassion on you and make you a large nation, just as he swore to your ancestors. You know, it does talk about the wrath of God also in the New Testament, but it never talks about God's anger in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it talks about, you know, Moses says the fierce anger of the Lord, and yet somehow the, the wrath of God is sort of like God's wrath against sin, his annihilating force against sin. God, God's essence just reaches out and destroys sin. So I think that when God talks to Satan or when Satan came before God in the Bible, I mean, either God had to protect Satan, right? Or Satan could only come so far, right? So because if Satan came into the presence of God, he would be annihilated. He'd be destroyed, right? God's, the, God's essence would reach out, just like, just like in that movie, Indiana Jones, it would just wreck, wreck him. So the wrath of God um, against sin is not necessarily anger, but it's just that God's presence is so holy that that holy presence just overwhelms and destroys sin. Kind of like if you were standing in the, you know, very close to the sun and you tried to look at the sun with your eyes, well, you'd, you'd burn up before, but then your eyes would burn out, right? You can't look at the sun because if you look at the sun, do not look at the sun, please. I'm just saying, um, you know, I'm just saying a metaphor. Please do not look at the sun because it will burn out your retinas. Okay, so I just want to want to put that out there. I'm not really laughing because I'm always afraid if you say something, people are going to actually try craziness. Do not do that. That is health destroying. Keep none of the plunder that has been set apart for destruction. Then the Lord will turn from his fierce anger and be merciful to you. He will have compassion on you and make you a large nation, just as he swore to your ancestors. God hates sin, and I think it really comes across in this passage. He hates sin. He wishes us to not love sin. He, he's, and he wishes to purify, purify us, because it says in Leviticus over and over again, I am holy, you must be holy, for I am holy. I am the Lord. 
That's what God said many, many, many times. And as the people that are being purified as Christians, we need to be holy. The Lord your God will be merciful only if you listen to his voice and keep all his commands that I'm giving you today, doing what pleases him. That's the aim of my life. I want to please God. And I know I've messed up quite a bit. I also know that some of the things I've said may have been a little bit off or a little bit uncertain. So I ask for your forgiveness. And I hope the Holy Spirit can fill in the gaps for you. And that's the whole point of reading the Bible, to let God talk to us. I'm just the guy with the big mouth talking. But it's really what I want for God to do for me. And that's what I want for God to do for you. But I can't want that for you. That's something you have to want from God for yourself. And I hope you do. And thank you so much for your time and your patience. God bless you all.